time for our Phillips Health Program. And Paige Heitman is your host. Good morning, Paige. Good morning, Lee. We're a minute late. It's probably because I was talking, huh? No, no, no. You're fine. You're, fine. you're, you're very flexible, so just, uh, you know, you, we'll make adjustments. But you have I guests, love you have it. Yes, I do. you got Kayla with Yeah, you. Kayla decided to come back. I'm going to Kayla my mic just in case you... Yeah, Perfect. Mm -hmm. In case you want to talk today. Yeah, I'll try my best. <laughs> awesome. So today on our Ask a Professional show, we have one of my personal favorites, Dr. Dimitri Fomiltsev, who is a cardiologist at Phelps Health. So welcome back, Dr. Fomiltsev. We're glad to have you back. Hello, guys. Thanks. Yeah, of course. So uh, before we get started talking today about secondary hypertension and a couple of other things heart-related, go ahead and just tell us a little bit about yourself. <clears throat> well, hello. My name is uh, Dr. Dimitri Fomiltsev. I'm one of the general cardiologists at Phelps Health. Um, I've been here now for um, uh, close to three years. Um, we practice uh, at the, uh, um, our uh, clinic location at the, uh, Phelps Health uh, here in Rolla. And we take care of patients with uh, all kinds of uh, cardiovascular uh, issues. Um, we, we, we stay pretty busy. It, it's uh, a very common issues um, uh, that, that, that we deal with. We um, um, treat uh, um, anybody with uh, um, heart problems from blockages to arrhythmias to vascular issues and list goes on. Yeah, you guys stay nice and busy, I'm sure. We are. <laughs> so I know we had a little bit of a pre-show before we started today. We're just going to dive right in, talking about secondary causes of hypertension. What does it mean to um, have secondary causes of hypertension and or even difficult to manage hypertension? Yes. So uh, hypertension is uh, high, high blood pressure, uh, and uh, a lot of people will have uh, high blood pressure in their lifetimes. Uh, we think about the high blood pressure usually in terms of a disease of older people. Statistically, probably 80 plus percent of males will have um, high blood pressure up the age of 65 to some degree. About um, uh, probably 70 percent or more of uh, women uh, at some point in their life after 65 years old will have a certain degree of hypertension. But <clears throat> there is um, an, a difference between uh, a person having a high blood pressure uh, when they're older, which can be explained by um, age of their vessels, by, by vessels becoming stiff, um, and people who um, have either developed high blood pressure when they're younger or have suddenly developed a really difficult to control out of nowhere kind of blood pressure, even if they older. And in those situations, we, we always have to think about uh, what's suddenly caused this, what's causing this issue. We, we usually look for a secondary causes of the hypertension. And secondary causes mean causes outside of a normal aging of the vessel uh, uh, expected stiffness with age of the vessels and um, statistically if you look at the textbooks they say secondary causes of hypertension constitute only five percent of all causes of hypertension yes of course because you look at the population uh, mm -hmm. and as, as, as we just said if you take all of the population on earth mm -hmm. then <clears throat> over 80 percent of people will have hypertension that's a lot of people well five percent out of that uh, mm -hmm. that number is a, a giant number still. But if you um, kind of narrow down uh, the population um, to uh, people maybe from 
20s to 40s, for example. It's mm-hmm. just you know, it's just a number. It's not really you know, statistically yep, a lot of us sitting number. in the room, right? Correct, <laughs> yes. So, so younger people, when they come to my clinic or referred, which has frequently happened, the primary care can manage hypertension very well um, uh, here or anywhere in, in the country. <clears throat> but a lot of times we see the patients that primary care send to us to kind of help them answer the question, mm-hmm. Why is this guy who is 30-something years old having super high blood pressures? We cannot assume that their vessels gotten stiff in 30 mm-hmm. years because usually it doesn't. Their vessels should be nice and pliable and, uh, mm-hmm. and it's a, we expect them to have but young vessels. Um, but something's causing their blood pressure to be 170s, 180s, sometimes more. Then if you take that group of people, 20 to 40 mm-hmm. years old, for example, then suddenly you can't say that the secondary causes of hypertension are just 5% in that population. Mm-hmm. It probably is going to be closer to 100%. We always want to know why. Yes, there's su- a certain subset of patients that probably mm-hmm. have a very bad genetics for whatever reason. Even then, genetics of what? Is it genetics of retention of salt? Is it genetics of... Mm-hmm. It's kind of... F- high blood pressure in the secondary causes is a symptom. It's not disease per, mm-hmm. by itself. It is like a fever when you have a flu. It shows you that something else is going on. And our job is to try to figure out what it is. No, I love that, Kayla. So what types of questions can you, as a cardiologist, answer for patients who are suffering from secondary causes of hypertension? Sure. First of all, we want to make sure that patients are safe. When they come to me, um, there are different degrees of hypertension. There's mild, moderate, and mm-hmm. severe range of hypertension. Um, if I see a patient with, who says, you know, dog, I notice my blood pressure is running 140s, 150s. In the long term, it's not good. It's patient, this patient is young, for example. Let's say even 50-year-old, 50, 50 right? We expect this patient to live at least another 30 years, hopefully, maybe more. In 30 years, there can be a lot of damage done by uh, even a mildly to moderately elevated mm-hmm. blood pressure. Your heart can get thickened, your vessel gets weak, you increase your risk of stroke, heart attacks, you increase your risk of heart failure. So, uh, but we have kind of time to try and figure out what's the best medication for this patient is, what else could contribute to it. Um, and in, in immediate term, it's not a big problem, not in the next, you know, month or so. However, if the patient comes to me, no matter no matter the age, and their blood pressure is 200, over 100 something, mm-hmm. I've got to act pretty quickly. i got to see them pretty frequently, you know, maybe second time in a week or two after mm-hmm. we started initial medications. Because my, or sometimes even admit to the hospital, depending on their symptoms. Because that blood pressure is highly correlated with the, with the out. Uh, with the negative outcomes, you know, people can ha- go home and have a stroke, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing that we answer: is the patient safe? What are we What are we going to do next? The second thing is we always, always, as anything in medicine, you are treating the patient, not the disease. You you have to know what is the patient's lifestyle like. What what if their mood is? Are, are they super anxious? Are they have depression episode? Has mm-hmm. anybody died in the family and they super emotional about it? 
because all this will increase your blood pressure temporarily, right? Um, stock, I have my blood pressure issues, but you know, I just figure out, you know, my son uses drugs, you know, I've, mm -hmm. see, I've seen this, you know, of course, it's, it's an enormous stress. Mm -hmm. You are going to work with primary care in trying to control that short-term or long-term, um, you know, psycho psychiatric issues such as anxiety. Um, you want to you want to see how they exercise you want to see what the weight is and then you kind of when you get all those little breaks together you kind of you kind of build up to more or less of suspicion whether there is something else going on that can really explain their high blood pressure because you can act on it you can fix it and you can solve two issues right you can yeah. solve their primary issue and you can solve their high blood pressure issues and give that uh, a person a chance at a healthier, mm -hmm. longer life in the long term. So that's very, very important. Mm -hmm. One of the things I think that's really interesting that you talked about, um, going back to these people who are a little, little bit younger and some of the reasons that they might experience high blood pressure or something like that, how does sleep affect high blood pressure? What does that look like? Yeah, so um, this is a very, very common um, issue that I encounter in my clinic. Um, the mo the, let, let's talk about m three most common mm -hmm. reasons for secondary hyper. There's more than three, but the other ones are pretty rare. Yeah. Um, but the most statistically common reasons are um, renovascular disease, meaning either your kidneys are not working for whatever reason, you have some primary kidney issue, or you have a, a vessel supply in kidneys having either blockage or some autoimmune disease affecting it. That is a very common and very difficult to control high blood pressure. We frequently look at the kidneys and vessels in the in the patients to figure out first if that's not mm -hmm. the issue. Second is the state that's called hyperaldosteronism. Um, aldosterone is a hormone that we all have and produce in the adrenal glands. And what aldosterone does is it maintain, maintain in a normal situation mm -hmm. it maintains our normal blood pressure aldosterone helps our body to retain sodium um, and the sodium uh, as probably you can guess by eating pizza and he having your uh, legs swollen the mm -hmm. next morning sodium is what retains water in our vessels however if you have too much of the aldosterone you can imagine mm -hmm. that every bit of salt that you eat consume mm -hmm. gonna retain in your body your kidneys will not trash that sodium because of the aldosterone effect on the kidneys it will retain in your body so your volume goes up and the volume is partly what determines your blood pressure mm -hmm. if you have too much fluid inside your vessel your blood pressure will go up mm -hmm. aldosterone is produced by adrenals and in some people, adrenals either are too big, or for mm -hmm. whatever reason, they are um, they are hy hypertrophied or produce too much of aldosterone. It is usually a benign condition in terms mm -hmm. of it's not a cancer of your adrenals or anything, but the adrenals are hypertrophied, the giant, the mm -hmm. big, and they produce too much of it, and that's what can cause uh, can cause you to um, uh, retain sodium. Sodium and potassium are interconnected. So a lot of times we have a clue when we look at patients' labs, simple labs, blood draw, we see that their potassium is low and they're not on any water pills or anything like that, mm -hmm. nothing that they eat well. Why is your potassium low and your high blood and your blood pressure is high? 
Well, the key here is most likely you have hyperaldosteronism mm -hmm. state. You trash that potassium through the kidneys because potassium exchange for sodium. Mm -hmm. You retain sodium, you trash potassium. Easy problem to fix most of the times. Very rarely uh, adrenals can have a malignant um, mm -hmm. uh, 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 masses there that produce that aldosterone. It's very rare cases, but we have to think yeah. about those too. And the third, and that's coming back, circling back to your original question. Yes. And the third, very common. They say it's the third common, but in our clinic in real life, depending mm -hmm. on the population uh, where we live, mm -hmm. in terms of uh, what's the average people's BMI, you know, mm -hmm. the body mass index, their their weight, very common reason for high blood pressure, frequently undiagnosed, is obstructive or other types, but most likely obstructive sleep apnea. Obstructive sleep apnea is a condition when, <clears throat> for whatever reason, sometimes it's anatomy, most of the times it's extra weight on the neck. When we sleep, we compress our airways. And <clears throat> because our sleep is already, is already makes us breathe shallow already and more rare, um, there's milliseconds or more at a time mm -hmm. when we have no breathing. I mean, we try to breathe, but there's no air going in. Mm -hmm. Sometimes our brain forgets to breathe. That's called central sleep apnea. So Im imagine the, how stressful this situation for the body. We don't realize it. We're in the semi-comatose semi state. We are asleep, right? We, mm -hmm. don't, we, don't, we don't know that we're not breathing. Yeah. But our body does. Why? Because mm -hmm. our oxygen frequently goes down when we're not breathing, right? Our level of oxygen goes down. And for the body, it's an enormous stress. The body, in a way, you can think about this way, perceives this as somebody puts the pillow on our face. Mm -hmm. You know, who puts the pillow? It's, it's a flight, you know, it's a, it's a fight, you know, fight or flight. Kind Let's of hope that's not happening. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, well, yeah. most of the time it's not in my clinic. No, I have other clinics. I know. That's I, not a reason uh, someone comes in. But, but the for body, it's an enormous stress. Level of oxygen suddenly dips down. Mm. What's going on? Am I dying? Is it somebody putting a pillow on my face? What is it? So the stress hormones gets released mm -hmm. overnight. The stress hormones get released overnight. Adrenaline and adrenaline-like uh, substances whole night because mm -hmm. it happens whole night while we asleep. And instead of being in this blissful state of resting that sleep mm -hmm. should be, we actually are more stressed during the night than we are during the day because of all those. So our what adrenaline does to our vessels, it constricts them, right? Initially, okay, you may think about this. Okay, so I've slept. I had adrenaline states that's been high. My vessels were constricting and... Uh, why is it a problem when I get up and why is it a problem? Why do I have high blood pressure in the morning when I'm not asleep? Well, the reason is because since the sleep apnea frequently is underdiagnosed and difficult to be to, diag to mm -hmm. be diagnosed, the vessel, remember that vessels are, part of the vessels, vessel wall is a muscle. Mm -hmm. When you train the muscle, the muscle gets thick. You know, when you go to the gym and you lift heavy weights, your biceps get really thick. That's the same happen. That same thing happening with the with the with the muscle of the vessels. You keep constricting them, mm -hmm. which is a hard work for the vessel. That eventually, over a year or two or three or however long you had sleep apnea, mm -hmm. most people have it for years. Your vessels get so thick, they can't get any thicker. But nature did not create us to have those thick vessels, so the mm -hmm. vessels become crystallized, heavy, they are, mm -hmm. and eventually there's a point where you cannot get those vessels relaxed because 
vessels just became so stiff. They, mm -hmm. be, they, they sclerosed, what we call. There's micro injuries from yeah. all that. So it translates into the high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. Sleep apnea is very, uh, very common uh, uh, concern. We diagnose that very often in our clinic based on high blood pressure in somebody mm -hmm. who's younger maybe, who has other risk factors. One thing is to ask yourself or most and probably more reasonably to ask your partner because when you're asleep you don't know <laughs> is whether you snore. Now snoring doesn't equate sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. Snoring can be primary snoring but when you snore a lot and especially a lot of times partners of the patient tell me yeah, I can hear. Uh, he scares me, or she scares me. Mm -hmm. They, they wake up in the middle of the night. Or they, 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 they wake up in the middle of the night without them even knowing. Or they, I can hear them stopping breathing mm -hmm. for you know for a few seconds. It scares me. That is a big, big, big sign of a sleep apnea. And then those patients always complain that I'm always tired. I fall. I can fall asleep really easily. Uh, you know, doing whatever. I, whatever. So, so all those things things are very important. Yeah, absolutely. So you talk about sleep apnea. Do um, do genetics play a role in sleep apnea? Yes, I think um, I think I, again I'm not a sleep apnea specialist, so I I, I know kind of uh, you know tip of the iceberg about this. That's related to the causes of sleep mm -hmm. apnea, but again, sleep apnea as we as we said a lot of times it's your weight, and weight can be you know you can have predisposition to have more weight than others, but a lot of times it's also anatomy, and what I mean by anatomy is a lot of people have deviated septum mm -hmm. in the nose. They have very large, uh, very lo uh, large um, uh, glands in their, you know, in, in their throat, the tonsils, um, or they have just anatomy that where their palate is really low or hanging mm -hmm. out or loose when they are asleep. There is a bunch of those things that we have sleep medicine specialist, mm -hmm. and I'm, when a diagnosed patient with sleep apnea, which is obtained by polysomnography or sleep study, mm -hmm. when we diagnose the patient with it, remember that sleep apnea is a treatable condition. I mean, it is not probably, a lot of times it's not curable unless it's anatomy that can be fixed by ENT doctors, the ear nose specialist. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times it's treatable and we treat it with a sleep apnea mask. And it, and all the time when patient is treated with a sleep apnea mask, but not all the times, depending on how, pro, how far their sleep apnea have progressed, how steep their vessels are, a lot of times we can help people to get their blood pressure under better control or even improve or cure mm -hmm. hypertension when they really stick to that mask and treat it. So we do have sleep medicine specialists, we send mm -hmm. it to them um, and uh, they deal with them in terms of what's the best uh, course of treatment for mm -hmm. them because that was a primary problem that brought them to me through mm -hmm. high blood yeah. pressure. So one of the questions that I have kind of following up along with that is I want to go back to these top three reasons that you had talked about. When people um, have this issue with sodium and retaining sodium in their bodies, what can they do to get more potassium and how, how can they kind of alleviate some of those um, like situations that might happen? Yeah, excellent question. Besides not eating Taco Bell. Excellent, excellent <laughs> question. And it's excellent because uh, I have this conversation very frequently with my patients. We, we eat an enormous amount of salt mm -hmm. in Western diet. Uh, the most common uh, thing that patients tell me is that they don't add salt to anything they eat and they're mm -hmm. proud of it. Well, my next uh, sentence is you don't have to add anything to your, I, I'm hoping you're not adding any salt because mm -hmm. we already, if you go to any other uh, grocery store and you buy a chunk of beef, mm -hmm. please look at the label. You'll be, sometimes you'll be surprised that the raw meat that you're about to buy and cook 
without planning to add any salt. Already has salt added to it. It's a preservative. So we have salt added to raw meat already mm -hmm. when we cook it. Um, my wife doesn't salt her steaks, believe it or not. She has enough. She, she doesn't like too much salt. Mm -hmm. When we cook steaks, she doesn't put any extra salt in it. She says it's salty enough for her. Mm -hmm. Just be, be, you know, the way it's. So, so um, the um, um, the uh, important point here is to understand that reduction in salt is very difficult. You have to follow the labels. Mm -hmm. You definitely should not add salt to your diet. Um, to anything that's already there mm -hmm. and if you eat out a lot and I'm not only talking about the fast food fast food is terrible mm -hmm. but anything why food is so tasty outside salt because they <laughs> add a lot of salt much more than uh -huh. you would yeah and another point here is that genetically and that's coming back mm -hmm. to, to, the, to the genetics part of, of your question different people have different sensitivity to salt mm. frequently I tell my African American patients that they are a lot of times genetically extremely sensitive to salt loads. And that translates into, when you look at the st statistics of uh, non-ischemic heart and heart failure, when their, their, their heart gave out uh, because of really high, high blood pressure, because how sensitive uh, they are to salt, you can tell that certain population, Hispanics, Native Americans, I did my, mm -hmm. I did my, um, fellowship in, at the University of Arizona, so we've taken care of a lot of Native Americans. They genetically somehow, mm -hmm. I mean, some people know how, I, I don't, I'm not going to uh -huh. go into this, but the genetically, the, the same amount of salt mm -hmm. consumed per day will translate into higher blood pressure in those genetically predisposed populations. So um, you have to, and a lot of times I, I tell my patients, go without salt for two weeks. You can tolerate anything for two weeks. Do, give mm -hmm. yourself a chance and do this experiment so that, you know, it's difficult when patients, the doctor suddenly tells you, okay, you don't, you shouldn't eat this, okay? It's like, I always ate this. Well, I don't know, I'm gonna live. I don't know you. you see yeah, you ruined their life. life. <laughs> Correct. I say, okay, try it for two weeks. Mm -hmm. with Withhold salt and, and two weeks, I like two weeks for two, for two reasons. Two weeks you can tolerate of anything, right? Mm -hmm. Even if it's terrible. Secondly, in two weeks, our taste receptors on the tongue change completely. So if you ever diet or try to avoid mm -hmm. something, you may notice that for two weeks you have really bad craving for something. Mm -hmm. And then after two weeks, it's kind of, it's, even you come back to the foods that you mm -hmm. liked, they kind of taste weird. Why? Because you have, because your, your receptors mm -hmm. are completely different now. You completely change the receptors on the tongue and especially salt receptors. Mm -hmm. your, your, your food that was not supposed to be, it was not salty for you before, after mm -hmm. two weeks of withholding will be really salty. So it may promote them to eat less salty food in the long term. So two weeks of trial of low salt diet is really, can, can, can really tell a patient the difference. Some people don't have a good response, meaning their high blood pressure coming from something else. But mm -hmm. some patients, especially middle-aged middle, middle age mm -hmm. patients, come to me and they say, you know what, doc? I really tried to avoid salt really bad, and my blood pressure got 10, 20 millimeters mercury lower. That means they are really sensitive to salt, and mm -hmm. they should do, and, and it's, you know, now it's kind of up to them. Yeah. 95%, you know, 5% is mm -hmm. only my, my work from here. 95% is yours. I yeah. showed you, I explained to you what's happening. You're making your own decisions for you. Nobody can mm -hmm. tell you what to do. You should try and see what lifestyle changes are mm -hmm. reasonable for you 
do not be miserable, you know. You can still have french fries every once in a while, just don't make it maybe a weekly thing. Uh, I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) But the listeners, I I wasn't the one who said that. (laughs) Well, see, I'm a big fan of the 90-10 rule. So, like, 90% of the time, my husband and I cook at home. We eat really well. We've got all of our meals planned. And then there's 10% where once a week we go out and we just eat something totally trashy. But that works for us. Correct. So, so reasonable is my approach, too. Mm -hmm. Yes, you should not take anything, you know, to an absolute extremes. Mm -hmm. Um, unless you want to leave forever, which you won't. Uh, and but um, but but the, but when doctor tells you that this hurts you, mm-hmm. this is on you to make this mm-hmm. decision eventually yep. whether you want to make this change or not. Because different things matter for different people at mm-hmm. a, to a different extent, and, and and only patient can. Our job is to educate, tell tell patients what they think, mm-hmm. what we think, what what's going to happen if this is not implemented. And the patient's decision is to decide how important this is for them mm-hmm. and what, to what extent they are willing to go to improve their health. We are here to help. Dr. Fmilsov, I think that's a great way to wrap up today. Um, thank you so much for being here. You're always a wealth of knowledge. Thank you for inviting me. Today we've been speaking with Dr. Dmitry Fomiltsev, a cardiologist with Phelps Health Medical Group. Dr. Fomiltsev currently sees patients in Suite 500 of the Phelps Health Medical Office building. Please call 308-1301 to make an appointment. If you missed part of the show or would like to listen to it again, please visit phelpshealth.org.